one's gay, one's straight. They both came out to California together and they were womb mates and roommates. Haha. <laughs> I guess I was the only one that never heard that joke because I thought it was hysterical. Anyway, Scott Paskoff has a wife, Michelle, and two children. And Andrew, his eight-minute older brother, has a husband named Peter and two kids as well. They all live in California, and they are both very successful producers. Here is my conversation with the twin brothers Paskoff on comedy, coming out, and creating content during COVID. Michelle, not everybody has a ring light that they put on and they put their face on. I mean, give me freak, 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 yeah. Welcome to Passion to Power with your host, Michelle Zeitlin. She's a creative producer who quote unquote wears many hats. She's also a talent and literary manager and founded the company Morzap Productions and Management. She develops people and projects across all media. Her guests encompass the gamut, from artists to authors, actors to activists, programming executives, development executives, and A&R. Michelle Zeitlin is excited to share her tips and tools for success through her conversations mostly via Zoom during quarantine. Please welcome Michelle Zeitlin, Passion to Power. fraternal twins this is so cool so i'm going to have you introduce yourselves and i'd like you to say like a 30 to 70 second pitch about who you are what you do and uh, and then we'll come around to some q a how's that great sure. all right let's start with the one in the lowered brady bunch box which is andrew age before all beauty. Right. Um, yeah, well, as the Alpha Twin, I would expect to go first. Um, so anyway, we, you know, we grew up in Long Island, Massapequa, a little famous little town on the south shore of Long Island. And I don't know what it is. I think Hollywood was kind of in the water because we both grew up with this uh, interest. I wouldn't say infatuation. I was going to say infatuation, but more just such an interest. And it was something we were always kind of drawn to. Um, even as children, just that, you know, how TV shows were made, where they were made, um, the producing side of it, which was really not something that a, a eight or 10 year old is t typically exposed to. You're always exposed to the celebrity of it all. But anyway, we were interested in how it got done. And, um, and so, you know, from there, um, I went to film school in Miami and um, figured I'd be, you know, a filmmaker, right? Everybody wants to be the next Steven Spielberg because he was the big deal in our generation. And I said, I'm moving to Hollywood. A year after we graduated, officially graduated, I spent a year in Miami working in commercial production through an internship. And I remember in this internship, the teacher said, 95% of you are just going to get three credits for this. And then that's pretty much it. Maybe 5%, if, if that, will get a job. And I was one of the lucky people who actually turned my senior year internship into a full-time job at a production company that still exists. And I still speak with my boss from those days. Her name is Kim Wolf. 
She's an amazing producer who does a lot of commercials and South Florida fixing, if you will, you know, with trailers and actors and directors. And we were filmed, we, we shot on film. So very different to doing commercials. I was like, I, I figured I'd go to Hollywood. Like that's the next natural step. And um, part of me thought, well, maybe I'll just stay in Miami and, and work on commercials or work on local productions. And I love Miami, I'll stay here. But that, you know, that little desire, that child in me who I mentioned was really interested and drawn to this world was like, let's just go. We got the film degree, uh, have some experience. Let me go to Hollywood and see what that's all about. And then I asked my brother if he would go with me. Um, he was living at home in New York at the time. And uh, it was 1995. <laughs> but we moved in 96, actually. We moved in 96. So um, we made the move together. It was July 5th, I believe. And so then I got to Hollywood. We got to Hollywood as 23-year-olds, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. And um, I would like to say the rest is history, but there's a lot, lot more from that first day on the ground in, in Hollywood in July of 1996 to now. So, um, yeah, he went to school in Miami, which he said, and I went to school in Arizona State, go Devils. I'm a proud alumni, I know Andrew is too. Uh, in fact, I was just back in my alma mater this past weekend. Um, socially distant, of course. Uh, but The only uh, one that was socially distancing in Arizona, apparently. Well, yeah, it's kind of a hot spot, but, uh, yeah. but we, yeah. we did our part. Um, it was a family trip, but uh, but yeah, so so Hollywood has always been sort of a part of us. I, I think Andrew said seven or eight, but I feel like I was like maybe four when I was watching like, you know, Wonder Woman or Mission Impossible or The Happy Days or any of those shows that we sort of grew up on. And you know, man, I'm like, when I saw the name pop on the screen, I'm like, I want to do that. Like Sherwood Schwartz on the Brady Bunch, like who's that guy, you know? Um, it was just, it just kind of, yeah, I feel like it was just part of, it was ingrained in us. It, it's weird because I've always, ever since I was little, wanted to be in California and do what we are ultimately doing now. Um, so we're lucky to be able to say that. Um, and there's something about California. California was just like, it was where the cool kids were. It was the surfing and the sun and the beach. And, you know, it was just, and it was Hollywood, you know, it was Fonzie jumping the shark, you know? So, um, there was just something about it that just, you know, just spoke to us. Um, and luckily we both had that same sort of vision. Um, who knows where we were in our past lives, but here we are now. Um, and, you know, uh, Massapequa is also a town full of famous people, like Andrew said, you know, like, you know, I can go down the list, but the two most, you know, the two biggest names coming out of Massapequa, um, and hopefully we'll follow in, in their footsteps in some way, shape or form with a legacy that we can uh, be proud of. Um, so far, so good. Uh, would be Alec Baldwin and Jerry Seinfeld, you know, two major, major stars, um, went to Massapequa High School. Um, so um, I, always, I always joked around, and not even joked, you know, uh, half serious about, you know, doing it like a, a reality format, like the most famous town in America, you know, because everybody thinks they have the most, everybody has famous people from their hometown for the most part. Right. I'd like to do a deep dive into that, but uh, I think Massapequa would, would hold its own. But uh, yeah. Well, I, we uh, also... Sorry to interrupt, but we also have Joey Butterfico well. as a as a claim to fame. We do. Who else? Who else? Joey, Butter, Joey Butterfico. Um, we have uh, you know, Joey Butterfico from Massapequa. It sounds like it's Massapequa. Massapequa. You got to say yeah. that ten times in a row. That's right. I mean, well, we proud of. We also have Ron Kovic, who they made born on the Fourth of July after Ron. He's a Massapequa guy. 
Um, the list goes on. Actually, the legend is that, you know, uh, Neil Diamond wrote Red Red Wine in Massapequa and W.C. Fields used to live there. Um, and Fox Boulevard, which runs down the main part of the town, was named Fox Boulevard because the studio was going to buy land there and build all these bungalows to do movies. But the weather wasn't good enough, so they decided that they can't make Hollywood here. They, they need to move it to where the palm trees are. Um, we also have a Sunset so, Boulevard for that we same do. reason. We do. Massapequa is very, there's something in the water, like Andrew said, in Massapequa. Um, wow. But, uh, but here we are. So, you know, I um, moved out to LA in 96 with Andrew. I was working in television, um, and, but working on the marketing and sell side, you know, selling 30 second spots, you know, selling commercials, basically. Um, and it was great. It was a great experience. You learn the ratings, you learn the demos. Um, but I always wanted to be in TV, uh, producing and, um, and directing. Not really. I, I never wanted to direct. I wanted to produce and, um, and develop. So I ended up getting a job, luckily, as an assistant at Comedy Central with the great uh, Zoe Friedman and Margie Yesla. Um, and uh, Debbie Liebling at the time was, was in charge. And my kids will probably get a little bit louder. I'll make sure to, to nip that in the bud. Uh, and I started working development there. Um, the Man Show was one of the big shows we were working on. South Park was huge at the time. And I got my, my feet wet um, in the development space in comedy at Comedy Central for three years, 2000, 2001, 2002. Um, almost a little more than three years. Then we decided to move to New York, which we did. And um, it was uh, family reasons, you know, mom was sick at the time, don't need to get into all that. But uh, we moved back to New York, literally picked up, packed everything, you know, one, one like November, December. And by, you know, Christmas that year, um, we were back in New York City. And then a few years go by, we spent five years almost to the day in New York City, Manhattan, which I think looking back on it was great because it just, you know, it's just the city's not the same anymore. Certainly pre-COVID, but even post-COVID, um, the city is not the same. We, we timed it right. The weather, uh, the, uh, the, the, the rents were still cheap. You know, you can still afford to live in the city as a, as a struggling producer or, you know, um, you know 20 something. Um, so we did that. And then uh, as soon as my mom was like healthy enough to move to Florida, which all, you know, Long Island Jews do, um, we were like, why are we in New York? Like we, we came home for one purpose and that was to be close to family. And she was like, I'm going to Boca. Um, and we were like, well, I guess I'm, I'm going back to LA. Yeah, exactly. Um, so she, she, so we came back to LA and, um, you know, and I was producing for a long time. Um, during those years, I, my first producing job was 2005 and, um, it was a little late. I was a little late to the party. I was working on TV all those years, development. Um, I even did, I was even a manager for a little bit, um, which was an interesting experience. A but, talent manager. Um, a talent manager, yeah. But I was representing a lot of guys sort of in the post. Uh, I was actually represented this guy, Seth Kearsley, who uh, directed um, Eight Crazy Nights with Adam Sandler. Um, but I wasn't, I didn't do that deal. Um, but he was one of my clients, probably the biggest name I had at the time. Um, and most of the guys were like, you know, um, a lot of After Effects and, and Inferno and like a lot of post houses. And um, it was an interesting experience to say the least. It was a Japanese company. Um, but then I jumped, I took the leap and, and you know, um, I jumped into the freelance world, which was, you know, a little scary, but, um, but it, was, it was very rewarding. So I produced for 10, about 10 years out of living out of a suitcase, traveling the world um, on someone else's dime, which is the way to do it. You know, usually Buna Murray's um, or uh, 51 Minds. Um, those are probably the two places I worked the most. Cut my teeth definitely with Buna Murray, which I, I'm also proud of because he wrote the blueprint for this industry. Uh, Pretty and, much. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, he really did, uh, and still doing it. Um, and um, you know, after producing for that many years and, and living out of a suitcase, which was fun, and getting all those stamps in the passport, which was fun, uh, it was like I need to, you know, I need to just settle down a little bit. I need to find a, a girlfriend and um, maybe get married and have kids because I was hitting that age where, like, I was thinking, and I'm probably going longer than the 30 seconds you want, but edit it down. Um, I'll give you pauses. Um, I was like, I'm, I'm just, I guess I'll just be the cool uncle and, and I'll just, you know, it's okay if I don't get married and have kids, you know, and then all of a sudden that's what So Andrew was way ahead of you with the mishpacha, huh? Not even. I mean, he was, yeah. he was, he was a little bit ahead of me, but not really. We, we okay. were roommates. Well, we were roommates I think, until I was, I, we were roommates until um, we were 39. And then, and then he moved out on me to move in with his now husband. How um, dare he? Uh, yeah, it was a, it was a, it was not a hard transition, but it was 30, definitely, well, eight, it was 38. I was 38, you were 38, 38. Andrew, I saw your husband, I would have moved too. He's hot. Oh, he's well, a good looker. Yeah, he's a good looker. <laughs> I think, good look. I do think um, part of part of us living together for so many years, literally 15 years as adults, from the yeah. time we moved out to Hollywood together until I met my husband, was just because it was easy and it was, we were like enabling each other it, and it's like we had a good thing going. We were both working and successful and single and had a great social group of friends and doing we our party five nights Part, a week. It we partied great. a lot. We we traveled. We you know very close with my mother who was still alive at the time um, and my father, but you know more so my mother. My father passed in 1999. So all of that considered, we were like maybe unhealthily still living together <laughs> longer than most siblings do but it it kept us from meeting people um really settling down and you know we were a little late to that um but i when i finally came out um and was like several well a couple years out because i was still a late bloomer but even then i started to say you know what i just got to start meeting and dating wait wait a minute back up a little yeah you came out of being a roommate or you came out as in the proverbial lgbtq out I came out, 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 and I was 35. So late, so late at 35. 35. Well, I was, yeah. So it's a whole different podcast. I think we can talk about that. Great story of how I I was really out, which is really, yeah, but that's a different story. I was really out to myself and some friends and, you know, just really testing my, my new, you know, life, if you will, at 25. And I, not that I lived a double life because it wasn't, I wasn't like a double life person, but I was exploring and living and figuring it out. But it took me a long time, much longer than it should have and much longer than most of these courageous young people today that are, you know, eight or 10 or teenagers or even in their 20s, you know, college age. Good on them, you know, because I wasn't as courageous as that. But anyway, it took me a while. And I'm, you know, everyone has their own path. So I don't judge. I hope not to be judged. But I was late. And and, and um, it all worked out. Uh, I have a great, solid group of family, BK and different, um, and very supportive. Has been en- enriched and, and better. And, you know, the, it gets better. Like, truly, it does. And. And um, so I don't know what I waited for, but hey, everyone has their own story, as I said. But, but back to that, I, you know, when I was like, you know, now I just really need to start meeting people. And, 
you know, just seeing what, what kind of life do I want? And I knew I wanted kids. I knew I wanted to be like everyone else, get married, have the two and a half kids. And the, the, just you know, two and the many, a half? Yeah, you know, what's the average? <laughs> I have two, I'm okay with that. I'm right. One of your kids is named Alec. Alec. My youngest is five. He's Alec. My, yes. my son is Alec. All right. Yeah. And your other? My other, my oldest is Matthew. Matthew. So, and we didn't name him after Alec Baldwin, even though that's a, that's a, no. a simple correlation because of mass right. people. But right. no, it's a, we use the A name in the Jewish religion. It was after my mother. And it was the only A name we liked. We, there was just, you know, it's very funny because I have a similar uh, story. So I was married to a Greek and I'm Jewish. So we used to say our kids were Gruish. And for some reason, I liked Gaelic names. So my daughter is Devin, D-E-V-I-N. Whether she was a boy or a girl, she was going to be Devin. And then when it got to the second kid, who I say was through the Immaculate Conception, because I have no recollection of having a second kid, um, people think it was Alec Guinness. But basically, my husband wanted something in Alexander since he was Greek, and I wanted uh, to name him after my grandfather, who was Albert. But it, but they called him Alec. So we had right. interesting overlap. I love that. Yeah. yeah. But that then is. also, you know, Scott and I have a partnership with our friends Matthew and Jeff. So maybe we could say there's a little Corey correlation there between my Matthew and your Matthew. Oh yes, <laughs> I know. I met them with you at Sony years ago. Yes, you did. That's, yeah. I wanted to get back to that. Yeah, so, good dudes. They're good guys. They're great um, guys. So Scott, yeah. how yeah. much later did you get married to Michelle? So an uh, interesting story um, about Andrew and Peter first and, and Michelle's sister and her husband, Ryan. Um, Michelle is also a twin. My wife, Michelle. You're kidding. Twin. So we are twins. We are, we are, you know, it's, it's it was a, a wow. twin married to a twin. Um, and, and, um, yeah. Um, and, and when, when Michelle and I met, which was, um, our first date was February 11th, 2013. Um, and then I, I actually proposed to her on November 2nd. So it was 11, 2 11 and 11 2 of the same year. Um, but, <laughs> When we first, uh, so two and eleven for some reason um, have, have a significance in our in our life. Um, we when we first met, we talked about the twin thing, which was a huge bond for us. And then we come to find out that Andrew and Peter and Ryan and Danielle um, got married on the same weekend, the same year, uh, in 2012, Labor Day weekend. Wow! Um, literally, literally, I think one day apart. Um, well, it's funny that we're interviewing the yeah. day after Labor Day, right? Yeah, here we are. Exactly. It's so true. Their anniversary was just this past weekend. Um, and, and yeah, so we, and Andrew and Peter were in New York at the, at the High Line because he couldn't get married in LA yet. Um, and Ryan and Danielle were here at the Biltmore in, um, in Los Angeles. But anyway, so what we, so we were, um, I met Michelle about a year, um, actually less than a year, about seven months, six months after they got married. Um, we were engaged, you know, um, two months after their second or their first wedding anniversary. So, and then we got married in July of 2014. So about two years, about two years after them. Um, and yeah, I mean, and, and it's been, you know, and, and since then we've each had two, two kids. Uh, 
I have a boy, Hudson, who's five, kindergarten. Um, same age as Alec. They're about five weeks apart, actually. They were born five weeks apart. Um, and Avery, who is three, um, and uh, they're just they're the best. So Avery's the only girl in our family, which uh, is interesting to talk about because our entire family line on my father's side for five generations is all boys. This is zero, ah. zero, zero. Yeah, zero girls born um, in over five generations. So Avery, and Avery is the only one. And so she's a little special little angel. Um, and she reminds me of my mom in a lot of ways, which is awesome. Um, she's super sassy and just, she's just, she's great. Um, but she's the only girl and she'll only, she'll be the only girl because Andrew and I and our older brother, John, who's still back in New York, we're done. We're done having kids. So um, there won't be another girl born um, at least until the, the next generation starts having kids again. So All that's right, a so fun little. I yeah. have a story. So Andrew, did you guys have a surrogate or did you adopt or how did you do this? to ask that question yeah, yeah no, my life is an open book um we adopted both through an attorney that we found through my friend andrea who was serving at the time at coy but she's a dear friend went to college with scott and um she had a client who adopted children through this attorney she's a she family therapist. and she said you have to call this attorney if you're interested my friend has adopted his children through this attorney and he's a gay man and he you know maybe a good avenue for you guys we had been with kind of the big hollywood guy and um i don't want to name names or disparage anybody but it just wasn't right it felt a little impersonal and it's like i used to say his bedside manner wasn't great and we felt like just another paying client as opposed to parents who wanted to go on this journey and feel a personal connection and and you know we're not like we needed kid glove treatment but anyway that wasn't the right attorney for us this other attorney however was and thank god we followed up on that lead because we had already been with the other guy paid him a bunch of money and we're like let's just try him and he actually placed both of our children with us um through separate birth mothers he had a much more hands-on personal approach to this and he adopted children himself as a gay man so it was a much more personal connection and um and like i said he he placed we he placed both children with us we've introduced him to a few friends who thankfully were placed with him and he's retired since so it was the right time and the right connection and and uh we have two two adopted boys so somebody I just interviewed also has a, an infant that's been growing all through COVID. He said it was the best timing for him because he gets to work from home and take care of the baby, burp the baby, change the baby, who's now five months old, a little boy. Um, I don't know if you know Blair Taylor, but if you don't, I'm going to have to introduce you. He's awesome. And he and his partner uh, are so excited to be daddies. That's awesome. Yeah, so, good introduction. Always love to talk about I'm going to introduce you about so you can talk all those COVID parenting. So, Scott, did you have an inkling that your brother was gay, the other twin? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, you know, we look back on it. My mom even joked, you know, at the time. She was like, oh, I knew since you were five, you know. Oh. Uh, and but, she never uh, made you say anything about it or she didn't drill you? 
No, she didn't drill him, as far as I know. I mean, she just, no, she just, she let us be. She was very sort of free-spirited, just like live your life and be you and do you and 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 you'll 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 find you'll find yourself in your path, you know. And then in turn, I was thinking, well, my brother has to come out. My mother has to come out. Your whole family has to come out. And because they have a gay son, a gay sibling, a gay whatever. Um, and so I was, it just, it was a lot, I think, for me to ha handle. And I was like, I'm just not ready for that. And you also grow up in this these was our era where it's like, you know, oh, that's so gay or oh, that's so everything right. had like this it's an adjective you know yeah and you were just like it wasn't it wasn't a good thing and yeah. um so you're like yeah. i don't want to yeah be the, the word the word that. faggot wasn't and um and it. i'm sorry to say that was my experience i'm so good and, and happy and our world has changed and i'm glad to be a part of it in so many ways with the cool family that is an example for other people and for all the things i'm able to be an example for because there's so many more people that were an example to me. But that was also part of my reluctance to come out. And then when it But but, but hold so I'll, I'll, I'll like, cut you off. So when, when it came out though, to, to, to go back to your question, um, before Andrew, you know, commandeered because he is the gay one, so he 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 should speak to he it. Can talk. But to answer, to answer <laughs> the question, um, we all we, we all like didn't know but had a we thought and it was always just like well maybe he's asexual because what Andrew didn't do he didn't like fake it it wasn't like he was dating girls all the time he just wasn't dating anybody I right? wasn't um he wasn't pretending that he was straight, straight but he wasn't out as gay either so he never like had the girlfriend you know maybe he'd want to date here and there and then you know it didn't work out but um when he did come out like he said multiple times and I wasn't there each and every time but I was there for a, a lot of them um like our, our high school friends, and I shouldn't even say high school, I should say elementary school. These, these are guys we know, you know, 40, 40 plus years. Um, we're still friendly with them. Um, they were like, he's, you know, we're back for some Thanksgiving weekend, which we, we used to go back all the time. Um, we still do, but not this year. And um, he's like, I have to tell you guys something. And one our friend Matt was like, you're gay? Like, so people knew, they just didn't know until right. he, you know, until he verified it or confirmed it. Right. Um, and and uh, I don't know. I can't speak for anybody else because I haven't experienced it. Uh, you know, them coming out. Certainly not. You know, certainly not like a twin brother. But um, I, there wasn't like one person who was surprised or or upset or rejected him or abandoned him. Like as far at least as far as I know, maybe he, he no. has. Like, no, not at pretty, all. But I, that's it was part of it. That's part of the the coming to terms with it is. And I, again, give so much credit to anyone who can come to terms at, at a young age. I care too much about Wait, so people I, who I might just have a question. I have a question again. Is this the- um, Not want to be my friend. And I just didn't the, care. I, I finally, finally, finally didn't care. Is this the uh, gay straight that, twin brother uh, podcast? Or it is, talking, absolutely. Are we, about, are we supposed to be talking about Hollywood as well? It's, it's fabulous. It has evolved. It has a theme. <laughs> There is so much we have to tell you, though, and we're already 43 minutes in. No, it's all yeah. good. I, no, I just, because, you know, when, when we first moved out, we had, you know, these 
grand ideas of becoming sitcom writers and, you know, being in the scripted world. In fact, when we moved out here, reality wasn't really a thing yet. Maybe real world, but um, just it was it wasn't a thing until the 2008 writer strike when it uh, was it 2008. It was probably 2008. But even yeah, probably right leading right up to that. That's when reality is just started to boom. Um, um, and maybe the couple of years before that, when we were in New York and Andrew was at MTV, but we came out to LA to want to write and, um, and writing we did, you know, we had an agent at Paul Conner, um, who was a very boutique, great agency for writers. And we, we had written very highbrow. It was high. I mean, it wasn't, you know, the, it wasn't William Morris, but yeah. No, uh, but it was highbrow in, in, in the sense that it was a, it was one of the most known boutique literary yeah. agencies for yeah, sure. We were very, yeah. So Andrew and I were repped by a great, great girl. I don't know if I should say her name or not, but we love her. She lives up the block from me. Comedy was our thing and, and it still is. And, 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 um, you know, I'm glad to sort of, you know, come full circle in that, which I can get to at some point, but, um, but we were definitely on the path for sitcom and, uh, you know, we were hanging out with Kevin Connolly uh, from um, um, Mr. Floppy. What's that show? Uh, Happy, Unhappily Ever or After. He was, he was you know, E he, on um, he was, Entourage. He was E on, on was... Entourage. But prior to E, he was the younger brother of Nikki Cox on that show, Unhappily Ever After, with uh, Mr. Floppy, Bobcat Goldthwait. And we had good friends who created that show. So when we moved out here, we were, on, we were at CBS Radford every Friday night watching that taping. You know, hanging out in the green room, hanging out in Kevin's dressing room. Uh, hanging out with the writers like you know I was playing poker with you know the, the all the Simpsons guys like it was like it was like the coolest thing for a 20 something year old um, and truth be told I'll be the first to admit it I know my strengths and I know my weaknesses uh, just as well as my strengths I, I couldn't hold the candle to those you know Harvard Simpsons guys you know Conan O'Brien and you know um, and and uh, uh, Kevin Curran and you know the list goes on these are the guys that were in, in that poker game and um, and, and then I won, I won too much. So they stopped inviting me back, but that's a whole separate story. Right. I should have, I should I should have played this a little slower and like, oh, the new guy who we don't even know this fucking guy. And he's, he's right. taking all of our, he's taking all of our money <laughs> and, and eating all of our cheese plates um, <laughs> in the Hollywood Hills in this great mansion. I mean, this was a world that we were like, we were involved in as young kids, just trying to make it in this town. And, uh, and Andrew worked for Whit Thomas for a long time, which he could talk about, which was Pearl and Larroquette and, just, uh, you know, the Golden Girls, but he wasn't on there at the time. So this is like what we were really, really interested in doing when we moved out here. Um, and we were, we were in it. Like we were definitely in it as PAs, as, you know, as, as up and comers, as, you know, as, as, as wannabe writers, meeting with Jeff Astroff, you know, back in the day, who's also a massive people guy. Um, so, so we were, you know, that was our path. And then, you know, the rise strike hit and the sliver to get into scripted was like this. And reality was like, as you know, like a, a the 405, it was just, you know, so they, wide. they call that the low hanging fruit, right? The low hanging fruit. That's right. That's right. So a lot of us and a lot, some sitcom writers included a couple of guys I knew at Comedy Central who were writing on Roseanne and, and, and did some stuff at Comedy Central at the time when I was there. They all jumped into the reality game um, and, right. some are still, and some are still there. Um, and and we, we both are. Um, but luckily, you know, um, it's all sort of come full circle where, you know, that where we're able to do a lot more stuff in the comedy space because, you know, comedy is, is a big part of what's happening on reality, even like shows like Holy Moly or, um, you know, um, Wipeout as, as an example. Um, and, and I've luckily been able to align myself with some other producers that are uh, in the scripted space. And I've just recently, like literally this week, um, we are setting meetings for an animated series. And I think I told you, Michelle, but we're on a podcast, so I'll say it again. Um, 
It's really more just the, the idea of like, you know, this unscripted world and to becoming a multi-hyphenate. You know, I talked to my agent, I'm represented at Dersh, and he said, you know, he said, listen, you're on, you're on a path to becoming, you know, what we call the multi-hyphenate. He's like, just, just stay the course, you know, you're not just going to be a reality guy. Um, and that excites me because that's always what I wanted to do anyway. And I never, I never, like, I never really stood on the path. I, I've always sort of gone my own way. Um, just, now you, you know, have kids who can appreciate your life as an animating producer, huh? I, well, we're going to get there. Yeah, they, they know the characters. But yeah, so we, we, I'm doing this animated series with Roddenberry Entertainment, you know, the creators of Star Trek. And we have, uh, you know, Beast Boy from Teen Titans Go. Um, uh, didn't you tell Mike, me Phineas, uh, something with Phineas? Yeah, so, so yeah, so the, 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 the voiceover actor is, uh, is Teen Titans Go Beast Boy. He's, our, he's one of our characters. And we just signed Zach Levi to play the lead who's an incredible talent, you know, Chuck, Tangled, Shazam, uh, to name a few. And then our other partners, our EP partners and showrunner um, is from, uh, he's the creator of Phineas and Ferb, a guy named Jeff, Jeff Marsh. Um, so Can I stop really, you for one second? Yeah. And we'll come back. A lot of my listeners have no idea what some of the uh, vernacular is. Yeah. I want to I wanna just slow down because you guys use certain words like EP, showrunner, and this yeah. is also educational for my listeners. Yeah. Can you explain what EP means and showrunner? And, and I yeah. know it means something completely different in a podcast compared to a reality show compared to a scripted yeah. show. Yeah. But, but if you could kind of explain that. Yeah. So EP is, like, is the executive producer. Um, and depending on what genre of, of entertainment you're in, you know, the executive producer of television, uh, animation, unscripted uh, is usually very hands-on in the creative. Um, whereas in a film, it's usually the producer. So in the film, the executive producer might be a financier who just puts money into it and they just get an executive producer title. So film, film business aside, because that's not really all worlds, um, at least not yet, um, executive producer is, is, a, is a creative producer who's involved in, um, in really all all, all aspects of the show from, from the, you know, the scripts, um, even, cause even in unscripted, we're still writing, you know, stuff to, to uh, produce, um, to logistics, you know, um, from, you know, travel to, uh, it's you know, to, story beats to and outlines and locations. No one's, they're not scripted. Don't, I'm they're not, I scripted. In, I, no, they're not, they're yeah, not we don't, scripted, but, we don't but script outlines. these shows. We don't, we don't write, uh, just for the audience as well. Yeah. To, and to clarify, we do not ever put uh, dialogue into the mouths of unscripted contestants or talent. Um, that's not scripted at all. What's so we have story is, beats and outlines we that we follow. Right. Yeah. right. So, um, so. Sometimes you drive it. Yeah. Well, stories yeah, but, need to be driven. You need to, you know, you can't just sit there and wait for something to happen. You have to, you have to take what they're doing in their lives. Like we've talked about Michelle on the shows that we're developing. What are the girls doing? You know, right. are they, they go into this event tomorrow and they have this dance class today and they're in school and, and how do we create a cohesive narrative using what they're doing in their lives and not putting words in their mouth. So and, that's- And speaking have, of that, speaking of that show that. that we can't name because we're, we're going to make it sometime. We will, we will. Andrew, I picked you that show with my partners of a group production when you were at Sony.
and you said you thought it was really exciting, but you weren't sure if the stakes were high enough. And that was when a lot of the housewives shows were coming out, and that's what everybody was watching. Can you? Can we back up? Because I remember you telling me about Crackle before Crackle came out. Can you tell me about what your job was, Andrew, at Sony? And I know you then didn't you go to Fifty One Minds after that? Yeah, hold on one second. Okay, okay. So and while, it's funny. while he's doing that, I'll just yeah. I'll explain the show the showrunner. Yeah, part, the yeah. Showrunner, the showrunner on a show is basically the driving force of the show, and specifically right. so, creatively. They are. Hold on, Andrew. Just so the showrunner is it's their vision. Like they they basically will be the one to map out you know how the show is going to be produced um, from a creative standpoint, um, and that's you know a lot and that's creative that's unscripted or scripted. So every show has a showrunner. It's an executive producer who's sort of, you know, in the field at the top of the chain there, and they are dictating how the show is going to be produced. And they're 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 the boss. Um, and they they usually have a boss at the production company that they're reporting back to. Uh, but when you're in the field producing a show, um, again, the, the showrunner is is the person who's the captain of the ship. Good. Yes. And my experience is also that the term showrunner is in the scripted world, the person who really has the writer's room, who's very active in meeting and hiring the writers and directing uh, the storylines, the arcs, and where each episode's gonna go and how it's can connect over a season. Whereas in reality, uh, a showrunner is creating the sort of concept drive of the show, but it, it's it's more in a um, structure element than it is about the actual words on the page. Is that correct? Yes, because they, they, they will, uh, on the unscripted side, they, they usually will hire like a um, title dependent, but somebody who's um, more in, in charge of and involved with story. And they'll be the, they'll, they'll act more like what a showrunner in the, screen, in the writer's room would be, you know, taking their vision and, and seeing it, um, seeing it get made. You know, because the showrunner, they, they'll, they'll put a take on the scripted side, they put a take together. Hey, this is how I see the show. Season one, season two, season three, etc. Episode one, two, three, four, etc. And then they want to fill that staff with their people who are going to be able to execute their creative vision of what that show would be. Um, and and that's what the scripted world would be like. On the unscripted side, you know, the showrunners would want to hire a really strong story producer who could also be an executive producer to execute um, that same thing that a showrunner and scripted would be. there any finite number of EPs or showrunners on a show? Budget, budget, budget continues. No, there's only, there's only one showrunner. One showrunner. Yeah. Multiple executive producers. Yeah. Um, and I always just say, you know, a scripted, a scripted show, it's written and then you, you make the show that's written and then you edit the show that was written and, and shot. The, in unscripted, it's the other way. You have to make it in post. So, um, you know, you want to make sure you have something there and stakes as we, but it, it's, you just got to go out there and shoot and then have great story people and great editors to, to make it the housewives because a different editor could make a different show. Um, but when you have a script, it's not, you know, a different director and a different, um, art director or a different, um, you know, music cinematographer might do something different with it um you know because we all love the tarantino film and then we all love a wes anderson film right they're very different styles but you know what you're getting 
Um, so it's just it's different in that way. The unscripted shows are really post, very post heavy. Um, so, but going back to my my Sony days, um, you know, I, I kind of got drawn into Sony because it they dangled this international carrot in front of me. I was just coming out of the closet at the time. I wanted something different. I wanted to see the world. I wanted to have new experiences. And you know, quite frankly, they offered me a lot more money. So part of me was taking the paycheck、um, as a single, newly gay single guy in my、um, when was that? You know, mid thirties. Yeah, you know, early thirties. And、um, with that, I got to see the world. It was a networks group、um, that they, Sony did not have any. U.S. networks, so you know ABC is part of Disney and CBS and Viacom were together and Fox is Fox and so all of the broadcast networks, NBC and Universal had、um, a studio attached to them. Sony had no network attached to them, and all of their network business was international. And it let me see how television shows were made around the world. But I would take big formats like The Apprentice and America's Got Talent, and I did. Minute to win it, and I did Top Model, and、okay. um, we American Idol and Brazil and Brazil and in Latin America, American Idol and Top Model. Go, and I want to not lose this. So let's back up a little bit. Start with a clean entry into some of the big formats you worked on, please. Here we go. So, so yeah, being at Sony and working in international television, it let me.、Um, it was I was exposed to how various countries produced. Television around the world, and we were adapting big U.S. formats for international markets. So I was making Top Model in Mexico, and I made it in Brazil. American Idol we made in in Latin America.、Uh, I did Asia's Got Talent, America's Got Talent. I did in Asia.、Uh, we did The Apprentice in Asia. I made Minute to Win It for India. So I was making all of these big glossy. Successful formats. I did the Amazing Race, actually, also for Asia,、um, around the world, and it was really exciting because I I met some incredible people, some some of the best producers and crew, and I just had these really fun international experiences.、Uh, I would you know travel、um, often, and I enjoyed that. I was single even when I had met Peter. And we were starting to think about a family. I was still traveling very heavily, but again, it was really exciting to to see how these shows were being not only adapted but fully executed and on air. And、um, and that was kind of my Sony experience was finding formats and working with local producers and local production companies to adapt formats that we were already proven to be hits in the U.S.、Um, it's much harder for a territory. A small territory、um, to launch something new and unproven because they don't have a lot of programming dollars. They don't want to spend a ton of money on something that the audience is going to reject. So they they know that the U.S. version of these shows were popular. So they're like, if our audience likes the U.S. version, let's just make our own, so they can see themselves on the TV and not the bunch of Americans. And that actually worked, and we made some great formats. So I think the short of that was I traveled a ton and got some incredible experience overseas. But I, you know, I wanted to reconnect to the U.S. market because the longer you're an in international, the longer you're an in international. And I felt a part of my day-to-day, roll-up-your-sleeves production brain and and production connections 
were, were going. They were every month, year I was in international, I felt I was further away from why I came to this business to begin with. And I left that after seven years to reconnect to the domestic market. And it's been great since. I've done a ton of great shows here in the US that I felt much better about. I could sink my teeth into them. I can have a bigger impact on them. I could see them on air and I can talk to all my colleagues and people that I've worked with over the years before going to the international space um, and just kind of reconnect with all these great people who in the time I was at Sony have you know grown leaps and bounds from when I left you know this business um, or when I left the domestic part of this business in 2008. Um, so with that um, you know that department in Sony no longer exists their their channels business is mostly a licensing and acquisitions business and they still have a strong global channel presence but they're not making the original shows like I used to do and I'm not saying because I left it went away it just I saw that market shifting and I left because of that um, I had I stayed I probably would have been let go at some point so I felt like it was time to go make a change and that's got me back into the domestic world and I've been doing production company thing for now five years yeah about five years um, and where are you now I'm at 44 blue productions yep um, they're they're a juggernaut you know they've been around for 36 years very successful isn't this CEO German or where is he from uh, Drachkovich um, where's he from Drachkovich is from Serbia Serbia, Eastern European block. Yeah, and so he and his wife are the co-CEOs. Um, they just they just actually promoted me to EVP of the company last week. So we had a very Mazel. tough. Thank you. We had a very tough six months of COVID. Just what does our company look like? What does our business look like? What does the industry look like? We were grinding for about four of those six months to just figure out how to save the bottom line. Yes. Um, making big decisions, making big cuts. You know, in the midst of all this, our lease is up when I had to find new offices. And so all of it was just like a lot. And the EVP who I was reporting to left in March um, amicably. She just found something else um, after 17 years with the company, which also goes to show they have a very strong, loyal, employee population that have been with the company you know she was 17 years others are 8 10 12 15 years with the company so it's it's that kind of company and the kind of company you want to work for you know that people want to be there and they stay there long and so anyway circumstantially she left and I transitioned to work from home during a pandemic and all this other stuff so it did pay off because we we saved the bottom line um, we made some tough and some swift decisions and um, it, it's going to work out great, you know. I mean, I got promoted, which helps. That wasn't that was a surprise. Even I wasn't really expecting that, especially not now, because you know things will one thing at a time. Let's get through this pandemic. Let's see the company succeed out of this crazy year and into next year. And we luckily had three series greenlit in August. My and yes, and we're gonna. You know, there's a couple more that are flashing yellow, as we say. Flashing yellow. We, we, get, we get those flashing yellow lights to turn greens soon. 
And um, that's I'm with you. part of I'm with you on the, I'm you with know, you on the navigating. Flashing Scott, yeah, Scott's navigating. in a flashing flashing mode, yeah. right? I got a couple flashing so. yellows as well, uh, and and I can't can't hold the candle to 44 blue um, for the career that Andrew's built uh, as as an executive over the years. But uh, yeah, I got some flashing yellows right now. I have and, a question uh, for you. Yeah. Have you have you Scott ever pitched Andrew? Like, have you ever come in with a team? So. Uh, I so I, if, if, yes, not not Andrew directly because you know it's not his wheelhouse. Um, you know, as as a production executive, but I pitched uh, his yes, I pitched the companies he's worked at, um, and um, nothing ever went forward. Um, but I, I think, in fact, one of them we we just we, we were going to make a deal and nothing ever happened with it. Um, yes, yeah, so, so we've gotten close a couple Michelle. times. When, when I was at Sony, because I'm a production executive, I'm like nuts and bolts, production calendars, schedules, logistics. Um, it's the business side. You know, I deal with lawyers and insurance brokers. It's like not exciting and, and accountants, even less exciting. Um, but I like those nuts and bolts. I like that there's a bit of a fine, you know, a fine, it's, a, it's an exact science. It's math, it's numbers, it's... There's still variables. Well, it's also, it's it's also creative, but right? hold on. We, my we, point was yeah. at Sony, they Sony exposed me to uh, tap into more of my creative side. So I was able to hear pitches and meet, you know, how I met you um, and Matt and Jeff. And, and I got to, you know, weigh in on different formats and different creative things, which I really enjoyed. But at the heart of it was my production experience, which is less creative. And in many ways in this business, not as sexy because everybody wants to be creative and fun. And, and I'm like, you know, I'm the money guy. So anyway, um, I like that Sony gave me that opportunity, but it, that also falls into my, what I was saying before, I was getting further and further away from what I what I knew and loved and in this domestic market. And I didn't really see those creative decisions having much of an impact on any of the stuff we were doing at Sony because a lot of those decisions were made in territory. I'm not going to say, hey, you guys should. I actually had Ninja Warrior. I love the format. I could have had it as an exclusive at Sony. And they, the people I was working with on ad sales, because then again, you're talking with ad sales people and, and business people about the business. And the creative people were like, nah, not interested. They didn't want Ninja Warrior. So I was like, the, what had creative impact? Um, and that was also led to me kind of going, reconnecting with this domestic market. Well, that's that's fascinating and it's a great it's a great um i like to talk about the yellow brick road of career paths you know and i love that you guys have this sort of yellow brick road of different turns oh, yeah. you know yeah. like with a scarecrow going you know that way well yellow i know brick road, I always with a couple say, of options too yeah. yeah yeah i always say to people when they ask me well like well, give me some advice and i didn't do this i didn't even follow my own advice but I encourage people to go the agency route. I think the I agencies have their finger on the pulse and I deal they a do. lot now with one particular agency, but I deal right. with all of them because I'm making deals with all these people. It was never exciting to me. I, I didn't want to do that. Um, mm. And no offense to the Same agents here. and agencies that I love no. and respect and work with, but I just, I don't know. For me, it was like, ugh, you know, I didn't like, it just felt, it wasn't me. And I went career um, different career path. I was a production assistant and I did the freelance field thing and, and grew right. show to show to show and eventually went network because Viacom hired me and I was full time at Viacom and then Sony. So I, you know, different path, but I, 
I think the best advice to give to somebody is yeah. to go through an agency program because you'll be exposed to so many aspects of the business. You'll Great. meet people and you have to want to network. Um, Scott and I, um, good, bad, or indifferent, we weren't like, we didn't want to rub elbows. I just thought it was gross and like, ugh, I have to go and pretend to be nice to all these people <laughs> in my 20s. And it just wasn't for me. Um, but it's it's so important. And I've been- Absolutely. I mean, I like, smoked a lot of pot like, back then, to be totally honest. Oh, we were smoking uh, a lot of pot back then. So, but I'm not, know, I'm not saying like- We were writing, we were just writing. Yeah, so, you know, we were, but you have to we do those awkward. kind of things. And part of us didn't want to. And you could find that here. I'm not saying that's like everyone here is phony, but I just no. felt like that was that was like my kind of disdain for it was there's a ton of people who, you know, I don't know, come here and, and they they thrive on the, the the bullshit and the phoniness of it that I never yeah. wanted to be part of. I agree. And I think earlier in your career, when you're first coming up, like we were, you know, 23 years ago, now 24 years ago, you know, you have to eat. Uh, a little bit of, you know, shut the fuck up, or you have to take jobs that you don't really want to take, or you have to maybe work with somebody who, you know, you aren't, you know, happy working for, or, or don't really like or admire, you know, because you're just, you're still struggling a little bit, you're finding your way, and you need to, you need to pay the bills, you know, and and, and that's fine, because I'm, I'm not saying I didn't do that, I think we all do that in some way, but you definitely get to a point, and I'm at it in my career right now, which I'm happy to say i I've been able to achieve uh, at this point in my career where, you know, I'll be blunt. I have a no asshole policy. Like there are just certain people in this town who I've met along the way, or even if it's new people I meet and, and figure them out pretty quickly that I just won't work with. You know, I don't care how great the idea is, how sweet the deal is, you know, um, if, it, if it has big potential or not. If like, if it's somebody who I feel like is going to be toxic, you know, to me in any way, shape or form or anybody around me, I just, I'll just, you know, simply pass, you know, and, and I think back in the day, I don't know if I passed on many things. It was like, you know, I was like, just, I'll take it. I'll take it. I'll do it. I'll do it. Um, Did that so answer your question? Think, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And I, yeah. and my, I'm going to lead with these two quotes, one from Andrew that says, I hate those people that thrive on bullshit. And one from Scott that says, I have a no asshole policy. I mean, these well, are two perfect quotes from the Paskoff <laughs> brothers, right? <laughs> It's true. I think, you know, you yeah. want to work on great stuff and, and you, it's really, you know, Hollywood is, we have a lot of friends here um, that we've met over the years. And, you know, I'm finally in a place now in my career where I'm able to start working with them and hire them or they hire me. Um, and that like, to me is like, you know, that's the beauty of it. Like I can, you know, I can now start working on projects with people that I have admired or haven't been able to work with in the past because I wasn't sort of, you know, um, you know, pulling those strings or making those decisions. And now that we are, um, you know, we can put a dream team together um, because it's all of our peers and friends. And I think that's, that's the best part about it. You know, that's probably what I'll close with, but I'm going to add this one sentiment, um, getting back to networking. Ironically, I met Andrew first, came in with my colleagues, pitched you at Sony, Andrew. And um, all these years later, Scott, I was recommended to look you up on IMDb by our friend and colleague, Kim Gold. And I look up at IMDb and there's this picture of this guy and I'm like, why does he look so familiar? Never knew you were a twin. 
I want to I want to interject something. I've gotten so many amazing sound bites, and I'm gonna probably invert this interview because I love where you're going now, and you're so fully charged. Um, but I want to talk about networking because you said it with sort of a smug face. Uh. Like, oh, I didn't. Oh, smell. And since I've been an agent and I've been a manager on the talent and literary side, and now I call myself talent literary manager slash creative producer who wears many hats because you also know I'm a dancer choreographer, right? Um, but to me, networking is how I get my bread and butter. It is yeah. how I have created my career path. I'm really at the soul and the heart of it, an entrepreneur. Yeah. So I want to talk about that because yeah. Uh, ooh, ooh. Yeah, I'll start because we came to LA and you know, I have been going to two different universities and then bringing those universities together in Los Angeles. We had a network, you know, to use that word, um, of 40 people strong. I mean, we would, and we would going out, you know, in, in our early twenties, you know, five, six nights a week. Um, and whatever bar we went to to see live music, because it was typically live music, Sunset Strip, um, you know, um, and this is right around when um, uh, Swingers was hot. So it was like, you know, it was it was a, it was a fun time in Hollywood. Good Will um, Hunting was hot. We'd be, we would be, you know, we'd, we'd be at a bar and there'd be easily, easily minimum 30 of our friends would be there every single time. And oh, 30 different friends, but our group was so big. So we had a really good network uh, and support system, which I think is important in like being a twin, but just beyond that, because LA could be a very lonely city if you don't have that. Um, so I think it's important to build a network. I'm not, I don't think Andrew or I are poo-pooing or shitting on the idea of networking. Networking is, is a huge part of it. You have to, you know, and I think we both did a lot of that in college to our benefit. We were very social fraternity and all that, um, um, and very active. No, but I but, can address, I can yeah. address what I was poo-pooing. Yeah. What I was, that the, 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 uh, the was, was, it's the phoniness of it that I was never a fan of. Like, right. I don't. Like, I just want to be friends with good people, you know, that I love being around and have an interesting conversation with. Authenticity. And we have such deep-rooted friends from our from our childhood and our college friends that are so important to us. Um, I didn't feel like I needed to make a ton of new friends in LA. Um, I wanted to have a career and make, make you know, make, succeed, but I wasn't going to just start becoming friends with all these people that was disingenuine because it might help my career. So that might be my own, to my own detriment. I, that's neither here nor there. Again, I'm not, I'm not, um, I'm happy where I am, but I, that's what it was. I didn't want to feel like I, I, I had great friends that I was hanging out with. I didn't want to like, you know, give my night to some, something that wasn't genuine to me and it felt phony. The network other side of it is, you know, meeting people, getting that informational meeting when I am always giving time to whoever asks because I know what it's like not to know anybody in this business and I want to help people and sure I'll give you a half hour 45 an hour whatever whatever you need let's um but I just it was that it was the phony aspect of it that I just was not yeah. interested in Could you give me a minute wrap up of what you would give yourself, the advice you would give yourself looking back to your, your 23 year old self when you first came to LA and we'll start with Andrew. So, but you know, career wise, it's, you know, um, God, it's the age, I kind of, we already touched upon it, you know, um, 
go the agency route. That would be the advice I would say. And um, and yes, as much as I, um, it, if it came off that way, poo-pooing networking, it's you know it's so important to just meet people um, and just be yourself. You know, because that's you know I think part of what I might have rejected is that in that phoniness of it all. Um, I probably could have gotten over easier if, just because I would have been myself. I didn't have to be phony. I could have just went and been myself. Um, so, but the agency route is definitely um, something I encourage. And just, you know, just you got to be passionate because it's a cutthroat and it's a very competitive industry. And, um, you know, good, good hard work ethic is so important. If you want a nine to five job, go work at a bank. Um, otherwise, you know, this is a, a rewarding and sky's the limit business with the right work ethic and the right connections too. Yeah. And eight months younger brother Scott, what are your closing comments? Eight, eight months would be a science. Eight, 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 eight yeah, eight minutes. Well, you stole you stole my um my my advice, but I would have definitely I would have I would have probably saved my money uh, uh, earlier. Uh, like life is good now. I'm not complaining. Um, but I would have probably invested more. Invested more whether in stocks or real estate. Like we could have bought stuff in LA, to be honest, back then for pennies. And we, we just didn't do it houses. Um, so I would have probably been yes. a little bit more financially, uh, uh, you know, uh, conservative. Um, um, but no regrets because we had an amazing fucking 20s. Um, but career-wise, um, I, I would say the same thing. I think you know, just going the agency route, even in the mailroom, just to just to get in there and and just you know, from the networking standpoint that you've been, you've been talking about, Michelle, you know, um, you really do meet so many people there that if you look back at a lot of the people like where we are today, Andrew and I, who and we're luckily we're in you know in in a, in in, a, in the system and have you know uh, great contacts. Um, you know, across the board, but a lot of them started, you know, in, in, in a mailroom somewhere. Um, and I would say that, you know, going that route doesn't mean you have to be an agent, but going there to meet people. And then you all sort of, you know, spread out to, to where you feel you fit best um, is is probably the best advice, you know, uh, that, that I can give. And, um, and I said it before, passion, like if you're not passionate about it, don't even, don't even waste your time because there's a thousand people that you know, know every movie that Reese Witherspoon has been in, and, and every you know every movie in, in every genre of film, from horror to you know romantic comedy to you know to drama to you know to a thriller. So if you're not really passionate about it, um, there's going to be somebody else who just you know who just will fill your shoes or or you know just exceed you. And, and the passion is really important. something that you know that uh, I always knew um, which I look back on now and I'm glad I know but it's one being, minute being a dot connector one minute. being a dot connector you know a good producer a good producer and maybe a good manager or agent or you know fill in the blank but a good producer connects dots that's what we do we connect dots um, and it could be anything from creative to locations to you know to craft services but if you can connect dots um, and you're good at that you know um, then you will you will do very well Hi, brothers. Pass off. Everybody, humble. everybody, do this. Be humble. Be humble, and look at the Hirschfeld over there. Be okay. Humble. Namaste. Gratitude. <laughs>